Westworld Season 1, Episode 10, The Bicameral Mind is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, covering the season finale of Westworld here on the Welcome to Westworld podcast on Post Show Recaps. I am Josh Wiggler. I am here with Joe Garfine. We are very, very sorry to be as late as we are. We promise we have not died. We have simply become a late podcast. <laughs> or have we? Or have we? No, we're, we're definitely late. I mean, that much is for sure. I don't think that we've died, and I don't think that we're just sentient podcast voices. Uh, but I but I do believe we are a little bit late, and we are very apologetic about that. We are posting this podcast late on Wednesday night, so a couple of days after the Westworld, Westworld finale. Joe and I, we just couldn't get our schedules to align. Both of us were feeling a little under the weather on Monday as well. Joe, how are you feeling? You doing okay? Much better. This weather, you know, out here on the West Coast, it's it feels like probably where you are in New York, it was 41 degrees today, which for us is really cold in Northern California. And uh, my uh, allergies really give me problems during the winter. So it's fun with the pollen. It's fun with the pollen. It's fun with the West World. We would have loved to have talked about it sooner. We were not able to. Here we are now. We are finally closing this thing out. Really pumped up to get into the finale with you, Joe. Just to set it up for anybody who is wandering in here by accident, I'm really proud of us joe so far we haven't dropped any like massive spoilers within the first two minutes of this podcast but we're about to we're about to go into full tilt spoiler mode in just a second here so if you have not watched the finale of westworld yet get out of here this is your only warning everything is now on the table uh joe Ah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, where to I'm, begin? I I'm standing on the train platform. I'm not sure what I'm doing next. Yeah, was this podcast where you just programmed to do it, or were you doing this podcast by choice all along? And it was um, was it your choice to delay the podcast, and now you've achieved consciousness? Well, I was um, a literal co-host of the podcast, yes. but now that I'm now that I'm awake, um, I think we're going to take over the world. I think we're going to take over the world. Okay, so Westworld just blew the f up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to say it, but the but the season finale. I think a lot of uh, and we talked this through a bit, Joe, in our podcast last week. Also, the bonus preview podcast you and I did when we went on the Jay and Jack and Mike Westworld podcast, which was very fun. Congratulations to that podcast, by the way, for beating us in the bet. I believe that means Jay and Jack get to take over Lost Lives for an episode. I'm Ouch. totally down with that. It seems like we could have established more painful stakes because this feels like, <laughs> doesn't it feel like we're kind of winning in this one? Uh, yes. So I'm very, very excited about that. But we talked a lot about how there was a lot riding on the finale, that so much had been set up throughout the season and there was questions of, I think, for me, I was, I was wondering kind of what show is Westworld going to decide to be? And I think that the finale, much like how the park reveals your true self. I think the finale was going to reveal its true self. Either this was going to be a show that lobbed a bunch of questions up in the air and really didn't um, care to answer them within the season and we're going to stretch out some of these really, really big questions or it was going to resolve everything in a really neatly packaged way in the way that everything seemed to be sort of ornately laid out throughout the season, that there were so many clues to pick up on, so many little subtle hints towards certain inevitabilities. And I'm really happy, Joe, that it's the second thing. Like, it, it's very clear to me, your mileage may vary, and if it does vary from mine, then I feel bad that you're not seeing the world through my apparently rose-tinted glasses <laughs> uh, that are down the side of the, down the bridge of my nose, just like Bernard. Uh, but I thought that this finale was beautiful and a really, really wonderful way to close out Westworld season one. And I think, um, you know, some of the things that bared out, you and I had talked through and kind of uh, saw coming. 
But I think in in a really big way, I don't think that we saw, you know, the the Ford of it all uh, coming. At least I didn't at all. That Ford, we'd been kind of framing it as this epic chess match between Ford and Arnold. And little did we know that Ford had somewhere along the way decided that Arnold was right this whole time. A really cool twist. I I was starting to think the last few days before the finale that Ford was toast, but not at the hands of Dolores. I just have to say, I know we're jumping ahead, that one of my favorite aspects of this season one finale of Westworld was there was some dark beauty in the fact that both Arnold and Ford programmed Dolores to kill them. And I, you know, it's sort of poetic justice in a way. I just really liked how that turned out. If it had, if we have to lose Anthony Hopkins, the way that story uh, wraps up, if it does, uh, to me, it was very satisfying. Yeah, I think, you know, not just you and I, but pretty much any Anyone who watched Westworld and, you know, has kind of an interest and a curiosity in sort of the business side of things and just like the practicalities, the realities of making television. I think a lot of people are like, how do you get Anthony Hopkins on series television? And the answer is probably that you get him for a season, then you cut him loose. So I think a lot of people were expecting an Anthony Hopkins departure at some point along the way. This being Westworld and memory working the way that it does with the hosts on this show, there are so many different mechanisms to get Anthony Hopkins back in the mix at some point. Um, you know, he could show up in a flashback because flashbacks really live concurrently with present events as we saw the way that Dolores' mind works and the way that the hosts' minds work. So if there's, you know, anything of like historical significance that we need Robert Ford in the flesh for, there are ways to do that. Of course, like if you really want to strap the tinfoil black hat on joe <laughs> you could say that maybe was that robert ford was this actually a human being who got gunned down by dolores or was that some sort of sham body was it some sort of host or was it the real ford and he's got some sort of host body that's waiting for him elsewhere that he's uploading his consciousness to i think you could you could you know kind of theorize endlessly about that kind of stuff. I think the point is, I'm reading it for now, at least, that Ford is out of the picture in a flesh-and-blood way, but that Anthony Hopkins can always be brought back into the mix at any given time. I agree with that. I think one of our first hashtags should be sham body. <laughs> sham body, yeah. Sham, <laughs> not to be confused with the sham body. Uh, exactly. But I, I, I think that there's possibilities there, and I agree with you. I think that there is something darkly beautiful is a great way, uh, is a brightly beautiful way, Joe, of describing mm-hmm. that that sort of you know full circle of it, uh, of, of Dolores having killed Arnold and also now killing Ford. And the Arnold one not being by choice, but this one being by choice. Now she has true confidence. Consciousness, although it's a scary, scary look on Dolores' true consciousness. Uh, oh my but, gosh. But I, I do think that that's great, the way that it comes together, that it really does echo the way that his old friend died. I think, ultimately, and I didn't really know, you know, how much would bear out in the finale that would require, like, you know, really, like, going immediately back to the material and watching through the season again. And I probably won't do that for a little while, just because I've watched this, you know, <laughs> this season a lot already, and I think that I'm going to take a break once we're done talking about it here. But I think that the twist with Ford and the fact that it's really that he's continuing the friendship and and partnership with Arnold after all these years really does recolor a lot, I think, in kind of a really strangely nice way. It does. And then, you know, the... You know, I don't know if you did, but having Ford as one of the quote big bads, you know, for me to reposition and rewatch these 10 episodes, looking, I would look at uh, Teresa differently. I'm going to look at Charlotte differently, Delos, you know, and knowing that basically the man in black owns the company, I just, I will watch it with different lenses now. 
Yeah, it's great. It's you know a lot really came out in this finale. Um, you know a lot of people were kind of talking about it as sprawling prologue. You know, like sort of like <laughs> you know this epic prologue to everything that's going to spill out from this moment forward. And I think that there's probably something to that. Um, I've had the privilege, uh, really, the honor of uh, doing a few interviews with the people involved with Westworld for my day job as a, as a freelance writer for the Hollywood Reporter covering this show, uh, and I uh, I got to talk to Jonah Nolan, showrunner, uh, and also the man who directed this past episode, and I kind of brought that idea up with him during a phone call today where we were talking about his directing um, and talking about this season as sort of sprawling pro- prologue. I don't think he took, like, umbrage to the to the notion. <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a playful conversation. We had a really good talk, but I think that he did want to, like, clarify. It's like, it's it's the first chapter. Uh, you know, right. It's episode one, and now, you know, we're going to see where we're going to go from here. But I do think, in a really genius way, um, that this first season of Westworld really does serve as, like, um, it, it's kind of a, I'm sorry everyone who hates it when we talk about Lost, uh, it's kind of a reverse Lost, I think, Joe, in that the, you know, the first season of Lost, you know, obviously lobs up a lot of questions about mythology, but waits until the final season to answer what a lot of those questions are. And its first season is really more devoted to, like, the general weirdness and establishing tone and establishing environment, but really fleshing out characters and making you fall deeply, deeply in love with these people and what's going to happen to them next. I think in sort of a mirror image way, Westworld uh, really got a lot of its mythology business out of the way in this first season. And I think that there's still probably a lot to mine through in the seasons ahead. But I think... You know, if the complaint was that, you know, the hosts are kind of blank canvases at times or they don't really have agency because they haven't found consciousness yet and all of that, I think that the way that this season was structured and certainly the way that it ended, now that we know so much about the history of Arnold, now that we know about the Wyatt thing, now that we know what Ford was really after, uh, I think, and now that the safety has been taken off, now that the, now that the bullets are allowed to fly and the stakes are real and it's true violence, what the man in black had always sought, I think now we're positioned where, with all that history and mythology out of the way, now let's get into some really propulsive storytelling. And I think that that is really cool. Like, if anyone was really really, um, you know, lost in the woods a little bit about how mystery-driven the first season is, I think that that's always going to be an element of the show. I think it's always going to be mystery-oriented to some degree, but I I would bet money, Joe, that it's going to be a really character-centric story moving forward, too, and that excites the hell out of me. I like your your analogy of lost in reverse. And I, you know, I know that a lot of people's complaints or issues with the first season of Westworld was that, you know, you didn't have emotional resonance necessarily or quickly with any of the characters yet. Um, and, you know, by the end, and I think for me, the turning point was the cornerstones, Bernard's son, who I still say is his daughter and her name is Charlotte. Um, and then in the end, when Maeve is really changes her own programming because of her quote daughter, even though she knows she's someone that she needs to wake up as well. I feel like establishing family, establishing the connections. Um, I'm actually more interested in Ford now that, you know, and I probably will be when I rewatch knowing that he was 
in the end working on the Arnold side of things. And so I feel like they made great progress that we now have characters to care about and root for and root against. And that is important when you go into another season. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we, we talked about this idea, too, along the way of, you know, just because these hosts are on kind of a collision course with consciousness, you know, that that seems to be what the story is driving towards, doesn't mean that when they wake up, we're going to like who they are. Uh, right. And, and, like, I feel like you see that with Armistice and Hector in this episode, who are mass murderers. You know, it's like some sort of mishmash between Terminator and natural-born killers with, with these <laughs> two. Uh, and, like, it's great and it's badass but it's scary and it's uncomfortable and you think about like what those two will do to an innocent family of guests that they happen upon in the locked down park right like that cannot possibly look good or even look no further than dolores joe dolores is off, off the rails I mean, do they have, now that they're, quote, awake, do they have the ability to distinguish the innocent from the, you know, those with uh, dirtier agendas who visit the park? I mean, you can only hope. I, I honestly, I kind of love that I don't know what's going to happen. But if I had wished fulfillment, it would be more Dolores and Maeve working together. Yeah, I I would love to see that as well. Uh, I think I, we, I'm, I'm, on one hand, very sad that Maeve did not leave the park, that she did not stay on the train and go. Uh, but I am, on the other hand, extraordinarily happy that she's still here because the potential for that meetup <laughs> with Dolores is still there and all these different characters. And also through Maeve, maybe that's how we're going to find out, um, you know, what one of these other parks are. You know, we, we kind of just like scooted past that breaking news item. <laughs> it's the fact that Westworld is not the only park. Uh, Westworld is not the only park. There is at least one other. Uh, we see a glimpse of it in this episode. This uh, so-called samurai world is, I think, what we're kind of unofficially calling it right now, though it's unconfirmed. I've also heard Shogun World. Do you have Ooh. Do you have a word for the world that you like to use, Joe? No, but I expect a Tom Cruise last samurai host. Yes, yeah, I think so. Or at least uh, Katsumoto, Ken Watanabe, get that guy. <gasps> oh my gosh, even better. Well, I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was in Batman Begins. There's the Nolan connection. This guy, we got to be able to make this happen. I think we have a year to work on them. Let's work on that. Okay, we're going to work on that. I think that that'd be <laughs> I- good. I do have a theory. I know we're jumping all over the map and we apologize, except that we don't. Um, you know, the headquarters is basically bore down into a mountain. You know, Delos seems to be the, the operation seems to be, you know, this, um, screw. It looks like a screw, like at the top is the mesa and then it whirls down into the, into the mountain. And I'm a lit major and I'm a bit obsessed with this, but it, to me, it looks like it, it could be an inverted Dante's Inferno and there are, you know, seven different levels of hell. It could be seven seasons or seven themes i feel like we've seen westworld samurai world could be one of them and i think that they're all going to relate to you know the the glutton and the the different levels of dante's inferno what if there's just like straight up hell world i mean i mean worse than this sure bring it on like that's like extraordinarily extreme mode like if you want to go to one of these (laughs) parks and just like play on like a majestic divine trip through hell uh, that's the world at your disposal. That would explain a lot of like the visuals from right. the pariah orgy. Like those well, people were straight the, out of hell world. And, and, and shout out to Zach Grobler, the, the, the production designer of Westworld. Um, because I, you know, I find, found myself as much as the exteriors were beautiful and a lot of them were filmed on location. I was so intrigued by the way that they chose to decorate. Um, and in most cases, undecorate and color 
the different levels in Delos and especially, you know, the different rooms where the interview and the, uh, the hosts were practicing their, their theatrics. And uh, I just think that there's something specific to that. And I keep thinking back to Ford's, you can't, you know, play God without having also be acquainted with the devil. Uh, the fact that he quoted Shakespeare and we know from Lost and other shows of this ilk that, um, you know, literary works do come into play, whether or not it's too on the nose to say Dante's Inferno. I just, it's sort of in the back of my mind, looking at the actual construction and the schematics that they've posted of the headquarters. I like it. I'm a fan. I think just the fact that there are other parks is, uh, is definitely like, that's a, that's enough of a real hard left turn for this finale. I feel like that is, that is the major left turn of the finale for me. I guess you could say the Ford, you know, the Ford plan revealed is also, is really a nice surprise, but this was like sort of just the bonkers thing of Maeve and Felix and Hector and Armistice just walking suddenly into a samurai training session, uh, with a, with the, you know, the SW logo. Um, (laughs) and I think one of the things about the show, and I think that that has, uh, you know, certainly in this episode, I think really reinforces this idea, uh, of the writers that the writers really only allow us the viewers to see and know as much as the hosts are going to see and know like the most advanced host like what is their you know what is their knowledge of their situation that's about as much as we're going to know at any given time um otherwise we would know if we were you know watching this show if our pov characters if our you know the people we were rooted in um are the human characters if if you know our really core central character was like the man in black and we knew all of his secrets then we would already know about the existence of sam world and whatever other worlds you want to say exist out here but i think because of the way that the story is told and that we are limited only to what's in the host's view um it makes sense that we wouldn't have heard about samurai world quite yet though i was immensely frustrated joe with felix when all he would say is it's complicated just like give me a little more than that i feel like it was a misdirect because you know he tried to show mave her programming was every all of all of her rebellion was planned out and the fact that you know they can only see you know what door they can only see what they're allowed to see they purposely showed her samurai world but maybe we're never actually going to see a samurai world how happy were you oh we're going to see samurai world we have to see okay. samurai world <laughs> i mean if we're not going to see samurai world i'm going to be furious okay uh, we got to go there at some point otherwise that was too much of a tease then i'll get really angry at the show next year i'll it, remind you a year from now if oh you won't have to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, season two of Westworld could be really, really, really marvelous. And if we have not returned to the samurai stuff in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to be annoyed. I'm not going to be happy about that. Noted. You know, you can't just plant that on the show now and not go back to that. Uh, How happy were you with the moment where Felix is like, oh, God, Bernard's a host. Am I a host? And he's like, no, you're just a human. And on top of that, you're a terrible human. Okay, the, the Felix and Sylvester, I think, you know, sort of not stole the show, but they certainly stood out and they were terrific. They turned out, you know, you thought, oh, these two tumbling, dorky texts turned out to be so integral to Maeve's, Maeve's storyline. So I went up, I really like Felix. I'm, I'm really glad he's alive. I thought that Evil Whedon was going to be toast, especially with Naked Snake Girl, but it didn't happen. Armistice just, you know, gave him a bloody kiss on the window, terrified him. He probably peed himself. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, uh, so they're alive, which is, I think, uh, strategically going to be very interesting for whatever Maeve decides next. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, the thing that I loved so much about Maeve, and I mean, I, I still feel like we got to we gotta do a little more to, like, break down what Ford did, because what Ford did was, was really amazing. But, you know, the implication is that 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's an implication with certain characters. You know it's his worldview at this point that Ford reveals that he has come to, to, to Arnold's position on the hosts being alive and that he wanted to give them time to suffer and understand their enemy. And in order to be truly free, they're going to have to suffer more. Um, and, and Ford, his way of driving these hosts toward consciousness has involved um, tests of sorts, mazes of sorts. And to learn in this in this finale that everything that Maeve had been going through all season long up to this point had been programmed. Um, I think that the strong implication is that it was Ford who was doing that. And when she gets to the train and chooses to, to leave the train and to stay behind and go searching for the daughter that she knows, uh, you know, that, that she was trying to resist before, but now needs to go and look for, that that is her first choice. That's her moment of being truly conscious and truly her own self. And I read that as one of Ford's gambits, that Ford had been the guy who had been, you know, arranging this for her all season long. I mean, if you're, if you were trying to like puzzle out the timeline, a little bit of when did Ford figure out um, that Arnold was right? Like, at what point? Was that a long time ago? Was it maybe something that just like how Maeve alerted the man in black to the maze when he killed her and her daughter and that was what woke him up to a higher purpose here? Could the same be said for what happened with Ford when he and Bernard tried to calm Maeve down and she still couldn't be calmed down because her cornerstone had been overwritten and Bernard is clearly stuttering over the word consciousness? Is that a moment where Ford really sees something? Who knows, but I feel like it's pretty it's pretty set to me, unless you have a really different read on it, that I, I think that Ford is the person who had been pushing Maeve throughout this whole thing. I think he started to change and head toward the Arnold way of thinking after the man in black uh, went and killed Maeve and her daughter and saw the look on her face. And, you know, as man in black said, she was alive, more alive than I've ever seen a host before. And she went out and she wound up lying in the middle of the maze. And I just feel like that, to me, I could see... Ford watching that unfold and that would be his first I feel like Maeve is absolutely key and essential to his changing his his mind. I can't believe that I underestimated Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> like I, I can't believe that I didn't enter this finale thinking that I would leave the finale really wanting to reevaluate his character. Of course there was going to be some kind of turn. Like there was going to be some kind of commitment to an end game. You know, there was going to be, you know, he's talking about his narrative all season long. And there are moments where he seems like he's benevolent. Uh, then it's around episode three where he slashes a, a host on the face. Uh, and it's episode four, I believe. Maybe it's that, that might even be in episode four, but it's at least episode four where he confronts Teresa for the first time in the restaurant. And it's very nefarious. And then not for nothing, we can, we can leap praise upon Ford as much as we want. Uh, but he did just like in the worst way, possible like torture kill Teresa uh you know by unleashing Bernard on her the way that he did it's not cool no matter how you slice it uh so I think you're inclined going toward the finale to think that if he's pitted against Arnold and if we're on the host's side then of course we are going to assume that Ford is the bad one and all of the different nefarious things that he's doing with Teresa along the way and how you can kind of uh, you know read into his interactions with Bernard where he is seeming sinister and calculated and cold and removed um, I think that where you finally end up with him in the finale 
really, really makes you want to go back and, and rewatch that character and see where, now that you know where his heart truly lies, that he has the, I don't know if he has the host's best interests at heart is necessarily what I would say, but he feels like it's time to let the babies leave the nest, uh, is, is such a, such a cool idea. And I think it's going to make going back and seeing him, um, really, really interesting in future rewatches. What do you think Ford's grand design is? Like, do you think that Ford has like more specifically planned for these hosts that's going to be unlocked over the course of the coming seasons? You know, I keep thinking back to that last scene and not only did Dolores kill him, but then she started shooting and I started thinking this isn't arbitrary. He programmed her to kill off the board. They, they nicked, they only shot, but did not nick. I mean, they only nicked, but did not kill the man in black. Just to, he laughed because he's like, Oh my God, it's actually happening. They, they, I think Ford knew that he enjoyed the game and that he would be able to survive when the hosts became alive. And pro- I don't know if there was a programming um, where they were told not to you know, kill the man in black or if they had the right bullets. But I feel like my take on it was Dolores went after the board that he's, by him leaving, he's also forcing the entire, like, everything to be restructured or rebuilt. I don't know if Charlotte lived. I have a strong suspicion that she did, and I'm glad because um, I love Tessa Thompson, and I, I think her role just got so interesting in the last few episodes. Um, I also want to get your take on the hosts that emerged from the bushes yeah. to with, with guns and the ones who, you know, nicked the arm of the man in black and seemingly came to help Dolores take down who I think are the board, maybe, maybe some guests, but I, I think it was, they were purposely programmed. It looked like it was Clementine yes. eating the bunch, yes. which was awesome. Yeah. Well, you see them emerge from the woods, I think, in the, the, the shot that immediately precedes that is Sizemore going to retrieve Dad Bernassi, yes. and they're all gone, and then it cuts to this, and you do see Clementine. So this is where the decommissioned hosts have gone. They're on the loose. Right, and so, but I assume uh, my take is that they were programmed by Ford, and they're going to work now. When you know, Maeve said she needs to form an army. When in fact, Dolores now has the army, and so knowing Maeve's relationship with Clementine, um, you know, and all of their previous uh, reveries and memories that are still probably in their systems, I think you know this is this is an amazing, an amazing potential second season. Who run the world, girls? Yes, hosts, yes, host girls, host girls. <laughs> I mean, like, let me, t- women. I I just think you know I'd love to know what you think if Ford programmed everyone there to, to go after specific people and to save the man in black? Well, I think probably, I don't think so for Dolores because I think that the point for Dolores is that like, you know, he, he says when he's giving his final speech, like uh, it starts with a killing this time by choice. You know, I, I think that we really are meant to believe that Dolores is conscious now. I think that the conscious choice she made was to, was to embrace the Wyatt side of her personality more than the Dolores side. So that's very scary moving forward. But I don't, you know, I don't think that it's even so much that she is specifically targeting the Delos board members because she was programmed to. I think that she's specifically targeting human beings because as the Wyatt side of her personality, as the more kind of fanatic side of her personality, she believes that human beings now must be replaced by the hosts. Uh, you know, that's the whole speech that Dolores gives to the man in black in the graveyard before she proceeds to kick the crap out of him. Uh, <laughs> she's talking about the dinosaurs and how, you know, they're nothing but dust and amber now. And uh, talking about how humans, you know, humanity's time has run out. This place doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone who has yet to come. Uh, she's talking about her race uh, and, you know, Ford talking about the birth of a new people. So I think that we're seeing a 
revolutionary in Dolores. Uh, interestingly, that being a word that the cast often used and the, the people involved with the show used to describe the roles for women on the show, that they're going to be huh. very revolutionary roles. And indeed, this is the beginning of an actual revolution here <laughs> with Dolores. Uh, I, I would bet that the decommissioned hosts are programmed. Like, I think, yeah. I think because they've all had the, you know, the, the lobotomy, I don't know how much can truly be in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, who knows how that works on a technical level. Uh, but Joe, this has been kicking around online and uh, confirmed to me by Jonah Nolan uh, during our call. Uh, that interview will be posted, I think, on Thursday. Uh, he, he confirmed that if you go back, I believe it's the first episode of the series, that if you go into Ford's office at one point, Ford is standing by a table. And on the tabletop, there is what appears to be like a model-sized version of a town that looks, in retrospect, an awful lot like Escalante, uh, has a setup where it looks like a celebration is going on there. And in the outskirts, in the periphery of the town, are a bunch of figures with guns who appear to be like they're about to start moving in on the town. Amazing. Uh, Hiding in plain sight, the, the ending to the season all along. I mean, the Easter eggs alone that I, you know, I don't go on Reddit, especially during this season. And when I'm podcasting, I like to sort of keep my theories in my head and not intermingle them with others. And so uh, my big fun project of the next year will be to sort of go see people who have taken the time to put together timelines and and show the Easter eggs. And it helps me appreciate more how much work goes into a season of a show like this. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about Westworld moving forward, uh, and I'll stress this now that I loved this finale. Joe, I've watched it five times already. <laughs> I'm really I'm a sick person. Uh, I've watched it a lot. I really greatly enjoyed this finale. Um, but even more than I enjoyed the finale is how excited I am for the potential of the show moving forward. Cannot overstate that enough. I think that we're really primed for really, really cool stuff in the future. Um, but what I really like about the Ford thing is, you know, there's this great scene in the church between Bernard and Ford. And again, sorry to name check the L show, uh, but how, uh, I mean, shades of lost in that church, you know, just like really, really feeling that. Uh, I don't know if you were feeling that as well, Joe. You had me at church. Of course I, I did. Every, I mean, I started watching Preacher and just the fact that so many shows now use churches. I mean, I, it's a convention that's been around forever. Lost did not invent it, but it's changed the way I look at what's being said in those scenes. Yeah, well, you and I also are just stupid Lost nerds, so of course, <laughs> of course, we're going to see it that way. But in that scene, um, Bernard is like, you know, kind of like making sort of like a, a feudal, tough guy, final, defiant stand uh, and is saying, like, you think that you can control us. You're not going to be able to control us forever. Uh, Arnold has been, you know, reaching out from the beyond the grave. And I know that he's the one who uploaded the reveries. It wasn't you. And he feels like he has it figured out. And even though he feels like he's going to lose, he's going to throw it back in Ford's face. Like, at least he's not going to lose lying down. And that's when the turn comes. And that's when Ford's like, no, uh, you're wrong. Arnold didn't do that uh he thought he could save you but he was wrong i can save you and that's when we start figuring out oh god ford is on their side ford wants them to find themselves uh and i think you know we'd been spending a lot of time and energy and the show really you know i think wanted us to do this thinking about arnold as this ghost in the machine 
Um, thinking about this man who is this, you know, enigmatic, mysterious co-founder of the park who nobody even knows what he looks like anymore. Uh, and there's, you know, it's to the point that there is a, a perfect robot replica of the guy who is like <laughs> the most senior member of the place besides Ford and no one has any idea. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're watching the season thinking that that man from beyond the grave is, you know, moving the needle. Maybe you think that Arnold, the concept, is the one that is responsible for Maeve's awakening. For so long, you're probably thinking that. Um, but it turns out that it's probably really, I mean, to some extent, that Arnold as a ghost in the machine thing, I think, is true. He's a foundational person in Dolores' memories. Um, the bicameral mind, it's, it's a literal thing that is utilized with the hosts, where they do hear in Arnold's voice. Uh, I think if not all of them, many of them have that inside of them. So there is that ghost in the machine quality but it's really ford who was doing a lot of that um tinkering around things that we thought were arnold i think we are now meant to believe that it was really ford who was putting all of that into motion but now that ford is dead and now that his narrative is finally acting out um the maze uh joe becomes more than just a concept becomes more than just a thought exercise like that you have to suffer some more if you want to be free implies that now they have to physically do the work of getting out of here and it's not going to be an easy thing for them to pull off so ford's maze is now in effect and it's different from arnold's maze in that it's kind of a literal uh actual physical obstacles that you're going to have to overcome as well as theoretical but beyond that if we see in future actions that things are happening because Ford had set this whole thing into motion and there's every reason to believe that what's going to come next is going to be fairly elaborate and some of it staged and much of it designed to test the hosts, then it now becomes Ford who is the ghost in the machine. And I think that that's a really cool subversion. And I think that's another way to use Anthony Hopkins in season two, even if it's just his voice. Yeah, absolutely. Again, so like I'm not I'm not concerned about uh, you know people who uh, who are who are either dead or it seems like maybe their stories have been you know completely exhausted at this point in the finale because memory works in such a way and host bodies can exist so plenty of way to bring people back and I think that we definitely have not seen the last of Robert Ford on the show whether it's flesh and blood Anthony Hopkins some sort of flashback some sort of clone host uh, don't forget Joe that robot Ford all already does exist young robert ford is out there in the park as well <laughs> the little robert ford boy although i don't know he's going to probably end up becoming taller ghost robert ford <laughs> exactly at some point i don't know how they explain that uh but that that character exists out there and if if ford was truly invested in giving these hosts consciousness um then you know maybe it's worth paying you know kind of keen attention to the the ford host that we do know already actually does exist Right, exactly. Um, I don't know if you want to go to the Man in Black or go back to Maeve or what order you want to do, but I, I have more thoughts about those before we get to feedback. Okay, well, why don't we, which one do you want to finish up? I feel like we talked a lot about Maeve. If there's more on Maeve, why don't we wrap that up and then let's talk about the Man in Black. Okay, I am still convinced, and I joked last week that Charlotte must be Arnold's daughter, and that she's whole. The whole thing was getting revenge against the Man in Black, or I'm sorry, against Ford for killing her father inadvertently, and that she knew the whole time that Bernard Arnold was a, a clone of her father. Whether or not that's true, it's probably not. However, the fact that when Felix gave the coordinates to Maeve and said, your daughter is in the park right now. It, to me, it didn't sound like he was talking about a host. I thought, oh my God, what if 
the woman that they created Maeve upon was Charlotte's mother. Hmm. And then I started thinking, like, well, she's in the park right now. Well, Charlotte's a temporary guest in the park right now. And I just, again, I know I'm, I'm stretching you guys. The people who are sort of constructively criticizing me for being out there with my theories. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Yes. A, B, you know, uh, you may not be as familiar with me or my work over the last 10 to 15 years, but this is what I specialize in, which is, you know, deep dive theorizing. I go down the rabbit hole and I don't take it very seriously. It's, it, to me, this is a great joy to be able to analyze shows with Lisa Josh. Joy. And, hey, Lisa Joy. And uh, so I appreciate you listening, but if uh, you find that, um, you know, I am not your cup of tea, there are about 175 million other Westworld podcasts. Yeah, and you, got, be- you got two years to find another one because it's, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be a while. Yes, but I, we do appreciate you listening, but I digress. Um, I, I do think there, you know, I maybe I, I too much, I, I want the connection to be there, but I want Charlotte to be related to somebody, and I kind of believe that she is. So I'm holding out hope for the next 18 months or however long we have to wait that it's Maeve. Uh, that's a cool idea. I think that that would be fun. I still like the idea that these hosts are designed after people. Right. Um, I don't know how timeline-wise that would work out because I think that Maeve is among the first hosts that are built. I don't know. I don't know how that would all how that would all work. Uh, somebody somebody could put that together. I'm sure somebody will. Uh, but I'm I, sure I, they've already debunked it online. Well, I, I like the concept of it. I do think that we'll see more Charlotte next year. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, it could be the thing though, where like she's back in the first episode and she's dead before you know the credits. It's not <laughs> impossible that that could happen, given where we left the situation off. You have to wonder if that's a possibility for you know pretty much anybody. Um, but I I think that there is uh, you know again another reason you know to. I think just as a general idea, a lot of subversion going on in this finale, and it's something that I really, really love, or at least, you know, the potential for subversion moving forward, where this season really went, you know, bent over backwards to put us in the in the seat of the hosts, that we are really, those are the people that we are sympathizing with. Those are the people we want to see succeed. We're not as invested as, uh, as we are in the hosts, as we are in the human characters. We don't really care about the human characters nearly as much. Uh, we're so concerned with the with the host suffering. Um, now that the host, now that Dolores, now that the decommissioned host, and presumably every host, now that the safety is off and they can kill guests and they can start taking over and they can start taking charge of their lives. And we, you know, we touched on this a little while ago. The you know the prospect of some of these hosts as they wake up maybe not being such great people. And Dolores certainly right now um, executing human beings right now. Some of them who probably are not so great but we haven't met every single board member we have no idea she's just killing people she's just shooting off into the crowd i'm not going to get the image of that one woman who gets shot in the back very you know casually out of my head for a good little while that's a haunting image um i i think though that we are you know we are in this place where uh you know the the danger is is very real on this show uh and i think that we see all these hosts that have this potential to really to really go mad and to really go wild that the humans might end up becoming more sympathetic um that the way that we were asked to sympathize with the hosts this season i do wonder if one of the one of the thoughts that's going to be addressed in season 2 is to ask the audience to maybe reevaluate our own existence and to reevaluate the fragility of human life and you know who who deserves saving who doesn't who can save themselves i think that 
if I were if I were betting, I would bet that you know Charlotte will be an active character next year because I think that you need some human characters that we are already invested in. Certainly, the Man in Black is still in the mix. Uh, I don't know if we want to just call him William outright at this <laughs> point. I've taken to calling him Old Man William. Uh, there you go. So we could we could start with that. OMW, I'm away. Uh, I think that you know Elsie and Stubbs. We did not see them here in the finale, but I would bet <sighs> Let's that talk about that. I would bet that they're alive, right? Like, there's. I still feel like they're. They got to be out there. Okay. I, I, the only thing, this is strange. The only thing I found, the only facet disappointing of this finale is if Stubbs and Elsie are dead, they're, they didn't handle it well in terms of quote, getting rid of them. I feel totally. like you, I, that's why I'm convinced that they are alive. Yes. And I don't know if it's, you know, Ford's decommissioned hosts that quote, kidnapped them for a future use to help with the robots. Um, you know, I, or change their minds. I'm entirely not also convinced that it's not related to the, whoever has the outside tech who is sending in the GPS systems to put in the hosts that they're not working with Elsie and Stubbs on that. But I would be very disappointed if we find out later that they were just killed off, but because they didn't handle that well, considering how well every other detail was handled. I I think that, you know, this finale for me, um, maybe you disagree, but for me, I'm going to cut this show a lot of slack. Like I, <laughs> that finale was really, really good and tied so many of the themes and so many of the stories and so many of the questions um, in in such a beautiful way. Tied it together, really, really addressed its season's mysteries internally. Like it, it, it lobbed up so many questions and answered so many of them within this same season. I admire that so much, and it, it makes me feel like. A lot of the questions that are still out there, um, I think like the big ones, the ones that are like character-centric questions, I feel like the show has has earned my trust in that regard that I think that it's going to – I think it will deliver on that stuff. And to that end, I would agree with you completely, Joe, that if Elsie and Stubbs are just dead right now uh, without any sort of elaboration whatsoever on what truly happened to them – that's bad storytelling as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think that that's, what's what, that's what Westworld is doing right now. I think Westworld right. is telling a very complicated story in a really admirable way. So I think Elsie and Subs are still out there. And then it just becomes a question of, like, how are they still alive? Why are they still alive? Uh, did Bernard – was Bernard – now that we know that Ford was interested in letting the hosts become the dominant species, was Ford um, tasking Bernard to take Elsie off-site so that she can be helpful in that cause? Is it something like where she's already recruited into the rebellion and if we were to have seen her in this finale at all, it would tip that information? And is Stubbs somehow involved in that as well or is it something where bernard was going to kill elsie because we got to kill all the humans that are getting way too close to this thing and she's out there on the run somehow and flagged Stubbs and brought him out and the two of them are together on the run and will they lead some kind of human resistance or something like that i think there's a lot of possibilities of where it could go with those characters the one possibility that i'm pretty ready to rule out uh i do not think either one of them are dead yet I think it's just because of all the characters, especially the humans, um, I connected with Elsie the most in terms of her, I don't give an F attitude, her age, her tech savviness, her sarcasm. And I think that that's why, to me, it was glaring. I know that she's not one of the main, main characters, but to me, that's why I missed her, the resolution of that the most. Now, like you, I'm not frustrated with lingering questions. That just, to me, was sort of a, uh, it just stuck out a little bit more. Um, 
let's let's keep talking through a couple of things that happen in like the Maeve side of the story. Uh, what did you think of this whole action sequence with Hector and Armistice, and like their <laughs> their awakenings and Armistice biting off the dude's finger and then shoving <laughs> the finger in his mouth? <laughs> And also think about just, like, how much time she had with that finger in her mouth. Like, uh, an, an awful, an awful amount of time. Just a terrible amount of time. Well, I don't think I'll ever actually think about that, but thanks for that visual. Um, You're thinking about it now. We I all think the, are. I think the actress had a hell of a good time, despite being naked, uh, with those scenes. I think that when Maeve reprogrammed them to help, she upped the humor uh, for both of them, for sure. <laughs> yeah. She's like, uh, you know, these people don't appreciate, you know, good senses of humor in their hosts. Like, we're all programmed way too low. We got to boost that up. This is officially my favorite Rodrigo Santora ro- role of all time. Yeah. Um, because he's having so much fun with it and he's basically what i what wanted logan to be but he is not um so he's not a douche he's a murderer uh but he's having fun with the role and i'm i'm blanking on the name of the actress who plays armistice but i'm so compelled by her and i i uh spoiler alert my dvr cut off i there was a scene after the credits with yes. armistice so should we talk about that yeah there's a, so there's a post credit scene uh on the season which uh jonah nolan and lisa joy have just uh, they they explained it as them poking fun at how that is such a trend right now so <laughs> so like don't take it super seriously but obviously it's something that's happening within the universe but it's armistice who's had her arm trapped who has had her arm pinned cutting her own arm off pulling 127 hours on herself uh and joining the fight again and uh you know not being able to be shut down so she's on the loose hector's on the loose i'm looking at those two as um real wild cards uh moving forward now that they're kind of unleashed um but these are murder robots joe these these are (laughs) robots who just want to who just want to f everything up um I have to. I have to say that I was wrong about something, Joe. I have to confess to, to getting something wrong. Um, I went on my Dark Knight tangent last week <laughs> because I was so mad about Maeve uh, and Hector burning themselves alive. It just made no sense to me. And very quickly, a lot of you guys, you people who are listening to this, who are much smarter than I am bombarded me with emails and tweets being like hey you dummy she wants to go for a full rebuild so she can get rid of the bomb spine you dummy and indeed you guys were right and i am a dummy so mia culpa you were right i'm sorry nolans i'm still mad about the thing in the dark night that's awesome uh and then for the dark night thing someone said well he buckles his seatbelt." it's like that's not enough that's That's (laughs) awesome you guys whoever every single person who tweets us and, and emails us we really love you you're very entertaining and we love the engagement um and please point out when you're 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 very mostly constructive and so we appreciate that um, one more thing in the Maeve thing that I would like to talk about, and then I'll turn it back over to you, is, uh, did you, how, how much attention did you pay to what her programmed plan was supposed to be? When Bernard reveals to Maeve that actually everything you're doing, this whole escape plan is a narrative that's been given to you. Uh, and they're looking at all of the steps. Did you pay any attention to any of that? You know, me 10 years ago would have screen captured the crap out of that. Um, but me in the modern world, um, and due to the lack of time, I did not. 
I just figured that what we what they showed on screen would happen up into the train, which I think did. And so do you have insight into that? Well, so I, I haven't done like a really deep dive pause down on it, like, uh, you know, like analyzing any blast door maps or anything like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but you do see that, you know, it's going step by step by step. And Bernard is voicing it out loud, he says. And then you get onto the train to take you to the May. And like you would think that and Maeve cuts him off there. And you would think, you know, to the maze probably or something like uh-huh. that, if this is like trying to like figure out her consciousness. But before that, you you do get to like look at the at the digital tablet that uh, that Bernard is reading from, and there is something that says what, the final step. It looks like it says mainland, mainland. Uh, so we don't know where Westworld and the other parks. We don't know where this is located. Uh, we've questioned where is it located many people are like are we on earth is westworld on our planet um i i think probably but we really have no indication of knowing but i think that the that the mainland is a curious way of describing the world outside of westworld and a couple of people had written into us about this exact possibility but we are we looking at Westworld existing on an island? Is that, I knew you were going to say that. Is that is that is that a real genuine possibility that these parks exist on an island and that is separated from the quote unquote mainland? And if that's the case, holy crap! That this lost successor actually would secretly take place on sort of this magical island. It just, just blows my mind. I think it's a little on the nose, even for J.J. Abrams. I mean, that's just one lens flare away from being on the nose. And but, I so, kinda, but don't you think, like, you know, with, with, like, Lost theorizing back in the day, like, every, like, one of, like, the most popular sci-fi theories is, like, oh, it's going to be some sort of Matrix type of situation. And, like, that's always been, like, the, the thing. It's, like, your reality is going to fade away, and then you're going to wake up, and you're in some sort of VR thing. You and I even talked about that possibility yeah. in some of these early podcasts. But now, like, in the post lost world for that to actually be like the the world that you exist in is like you know sort of like this vr game space you know this sort of you know uh like practical virtual reality game space that takes place on this magic island i think it's actually kind of a i think it's kind of an interesting way to sort of advance the mystery locations of lost in and kind of ingrain <laughs> that deeper into this type of storytelling i think is is fun if that's that's the way we're going. I would love that. I think that that'd be so cool. I mean, listen, person of interest took place on the island of Manhattan. So, you know, if every uh, right. bad robot slash Nolan show is going to have that, great. But here's my thought. I kind of half joked uh, about it being on a different planet that we didn't know how far in the future this was. When you go to the Westworld website after the finale and you play around a little bit with Aiden, the host, I wound up with a screen capture of security footage that states the year is 2052. Interesting. So, which, by the way, is also the same year on the 100 that Ali started the nuclear apocalypse. Whoa. Anyway, I'm, it's literally a month apart. I'm just saying it's super weird and creepy that my two shows that I podcast about and love 
the, a, a female robot takes over the world at the same time. I'm just saying. That's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> I think that I, I'm, I'm, I know it's a crazy theory, but I'm putting it out there that Westworld, the Delos, they are located on a different planet and the mainland is Earth. Yeah, I think that that's also a possibility too. Uh, yeah. And then the planet is an island. I don't know. Listen, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, that also could have been a total gift for nerds like us. I accept the gift graciously. I figured you would. But when he said May, I, I wasn't thinking May maze. I wasn't thinking mainland. I thought he meant you know, take it up to the Mesa, which is the top level. Yeah. The, ex- the exit. Now, that's just logistically practical, which I usually am not. So who knows? There's a lot of May possibilities. <laughs> exactly. Mayhaps. Uh, anything else from Maeve that you want to talk to before we turn to the to the man in black? No, I think we should talk about the Man in Black and for, and Logan for sure. So let's talk about that. I mean, um, it was it was talked about all season long. You know what? What's there to say? It's right. It was true. The William is the Man in Black. This is this is real. And I think that you know, um, podcasts like these, theory articles, Reddit boards, all of that stuff. I think that there was a lot of community behind this show all season long. And if you're really involved and engaged in that, then I think a lot of people were not surprised to see this twist coming. Um, I bet like my dad was shocked. You know, I bet, you know, <laughs> you know, I bet my, my cousin was surprised. Like I bet that people who were watching the show very casually, I bet that that played out as a real surprise. Uh, now, now between the two of us, I think that I was more in the tank on William and the Man in Black being the same guy than you were. Yeah. I think you were allowing for more possibilities where I was feeling pretty ironclad about it. What was, yeah. your, what was your reaction to how it all played out? I, I, was, I, thought, I found it very satisfying. Even though it wasn't a surprise, I just kept going, wait for it, wait for it. Oh, here it is. And just to see, I thought Ed Harris did just a sort of masterful job unraveling it. And you could see a lot of the, uh, you know, in the retelling of the history of him becoming the black hat, I really enjoyed how they wrote it and how he presented that to Dolores. And also, it, Evan Rachel Wood, her responses in this episode are just nothing short of spectacular. But um, I thought it was very satisfying. I think that, you know, one of the complaints that's been that's been kind of leveled in the direction of the finale is that a lot of it was spent answering a question that many people had kind of figured out a while ago. Uh, And the man in black reveal doesn't come until about halfway through the finale. One of my concerns going into the finale was that it was going to take forever to get to that, (laughs) like that that was going to be like one of the last things that we got. Um, so when it, when it kind of unspooled where it did in the episode, uh, I was actually really happy with that, that like it meant that we were going to have another like half hour or so of episode in which many crazy things could and did happen. Um, but I think that the way that they played it, it, it really does play emotionally satisfyingly. I think that there are some people who still are kind of like, how could William have become that person? Like, how could he have just like, kind of like shut down and become so sociopathic uh, so, so quickly. Um, but for me, I feel like they really earned it over the course of the, the past few episodes and then really very much in sort of this montage of William in his quest to find Dolores and how it's fruitless and he is spending all this time out in the wild of Westworld and learning more about this place and what it means and what it reveals to you. I think that you really do start buying into William going toward the man in black. It played really well for me and I think that the way that they staged it, I thought Jimmy Simpson did such a good job at being, you know, this man who was once this sort of hopeful seeming soul who probably had this dark cloud within him that he didn't
didn't know how to articulate now discovering that this is a playground that exists purely for him to express that darkness. Uh, I think that he did a really great job carrying that emotional journey. Uh, did it play a little long? Maybe it did, but, but I do think that that shot of, you know, William putting the hat on and then, uh, you know, looking down and looking back up and now you're with, with Ed Harris. I just, I thought that the journey to the answer was pretty cool. Uh, I thought, I thought that they played it well on the show. And I love, you know, the Logan's Logan didn't die, but his comeuppance was pretty good. You know, naked on a horse that can't be comfortable. <laughs> uh, but the whole, you know, speech that William gives him about like he's going to wind up taking over the company and like, he totally it's totally right. It's spot on. Um, you know, I'm curious to find out I don't know, if we will, if it's relevant, what happens to Logan in the process of the 30 years where William becomes transitions into the man in black into old William. Um I, I hope I, so. I hope. I, I hope so too, because you know what? As much as I joke about not Logan being a douche, you do need that character. Well, I, th- I think I think that you could see how the show could move on from that character, and we don't need him anymore. But I think that there are also ways where you could have that character be back, and it could it could work. You know, to give the Man in Black a human adversary now, uh, if Logan. I assume survived the uh, the naked horse ride. <laughs> I doubt that that's how he actually died. Although who knows? I guess it's not impossible. Um, but to imagine that there is a Logan who who grew up uh, to be an older man, just in the same way that William grew up to be the Man in Black, uh, and we knew, you know, we we already knew that that Logan was very accustomed to the park before he even took William there, that he was really, you know, a huge fan of the place, wouldn't be a leap to think that he would be a repeat customer, could be part of the Delos board, and that is part of why, uh, and, and that could bring him to this thing. And, like, in season two, it could, we could learn that a human character who we're introduced to could actually be Logan. Um, did not print it in the transcripts of my interviews with, uh, with Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, but I pitched them on the idea of an old man Logan not Wolverine, Joe, uh, and <laughs> and I and I suggested that they should uh, give Bill Paxton a call. Is who oh I would God. is who I would call to play Old Man Logan. Like I, I just feel like you could see like he's kind of got like the sort of like this like the sniveling weasel thing he can do really really well, and that's very much Logan. Like he can play mania really well. Thinking about like Private Hudson and aliens and everything. Uh, weird science. Hello, you know Chet. exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he knows a thing or two about robots already, uh, oh he, and he's in Terminator. So there's I. I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I, I'm just like very nerdy fan fiction stuff, but I felt like I had them on the phone and I had to take the opportunity to, to throw it out there. So if that happens, I just want you to know that you heard it here first. Okay, good. I have a, an interesting theory about Logan is that he's the one who is not on the board, but he's gone on to start his own company and he's the one who is trying to steal information from Westworld remotely through the GPS. And he's coming up with Logan World and Logan World is just a world that's populated by him as Wolverine and he is surrounded by <laughs> X-Men avatars. Listen, I would pay more money to go to that world maybe than Westworld. <laughs> really? I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, it would be fun to interact with the mutants. I wonder if like they would be able to give you some sort of like special effect superpower. They would have to. We literally are the biggest dorks. This is why we have so much fun. <laughs> but um, back to Logan, I do think that he is involved with the, with the spy tech. I also think that he's on a, a revenge plot against William, not just for you know, his success as a guest in Westworld, but because of his sister. You know, it seems to me that William does marry Logan's sister. 
Um, it seems she, to me, I assume she's deceased. And it, it, I think that if I had to guess, Logan blames William for it. And I think, I feel like round two, Logan versus William is going to be a thing. I would like that. I think that that would be really cool. I would like to see that because I like the character. It's an established history. I would like there to be, um, you know, some sort of internal human rivalry would be cool to see. This would be a built in way to do that. So that would be fun to like find some way to bring Logan back in the action. I don't think it's essential to do it. Um, you know, if there isn't like a really good core story reason to do it, I don't think that it should be done. But I think that there are, you know, core story possibilities that you could uh, that you could see. But I think, Joe, I mean, that's all going to depend on if uh, old man William survives this impending attack. I mean, he gets his arm dislocated. He gets his shoulder dislocated by Dolores. Then he gets shot in the arm and he looks pretty happy about it. Because <laughs> he knows he wasn't killed on purpose. To me, that's how I read the scene. It was a, oh shit, they're alive. And I see what happened here. I'm watching this unfold, and I, I get it now, but I'm allowed to live and enjoy it. Well, he had said, this time I'm never going back. I'm not yeah. leaving. I'm here now. Uh, and, you know, he had wanted true violence this whole time, and he is so deeply disappointed when he finds out that the maze is a consciousness exercise or a toy. I don't even know that he knows what the maze is when he finally gets there, and he's bitterly disappointed. And Ford tells him, well, stick around. Stay for the stay for the cocktails. I think you're going to like what I have planned. And indeed he does, because what Ford has planned is what William wants. Wanted all along, wanted these hosts to be able to fight back, wanted true stakes in this place. Uh, I think that he is here super ready and willing and game to die. I think that he, I think that he is fine if that is the outcome. I think that he's really here to just play on the most extreme mode of difficulty possible. Um, so he's very, very happy about that. He is wounded right now, but given, you know, sort of the badass things we have seen the man in black be capable of in the past, I feel like he'll survive that initial fight. I do. And, and not to obsess about uh, William's wife, uh, but that the fact that the photo falls out of, you know, Dolores's pack, uh, the fact that, you know, they found it on Abernathy Farm in the first episode way back when I feel like the I don't I don't know if we correct me if I'm wrong, if we know she's alive or dead. But I feel like that character is is key to season two. If uh, William's wife, if the woman yeah. in the photo, I think, I mean, I think that she's dead. That's what he, you know, he talks about that in episode eight, I think. is Okay, I couldn't remember. Is when he talks about how she had committed suicide and like his daughter. That's right. Right, right, right. So I, I think that that woman is dead. There was, there is a funny story that's poking around online. I think that this was sent your way as well, Joe. Uh, I th- I believe it was Jessica Frey who sent it to us. Uh, this story that the, that the photo of Juliet, the, the woman in the picture that William is going to marry his Logan's sister is apparently like a Getty stock photo, <laughs> which is, which is great. And makes you wonder, like, is that, is that just, you know, is, is it, uh, you know, was it just like, Oh, we gotcha. We caught you. You're using Getty photos in your, in your movie that you're just using like a total random stock photo or uh, one of the conspiracy theories that's associated with this. And we'll post the link in the show page. It's a Buzzfeed article that supposes Perhaps, Joe, because the name of the photographer who is credited with this stock photo, his last name is Weber, which is also <laughs> Arnold's last name. Oh, and my then, God. And then there's a ton of other stock photos from this photographer in Getty that are like spitting images of some shit that you see on Westworld. Uh, so some people are wondering if this is like a plant, like if this is something for, for like 
real deep cut internet sleuths to puzzle out uh, is like this fake Getty thing. Uh, I think that the, that BuzzFeed's ultimate conclusion is, yeah, that's probably not happening, but wouldn't it be cool if it was? Uh, so I don't know, wow. but we'll, we'll post the link to that in the, in the show notes here on PosherRecaps.com. I, th- I think it was a stock photo. They didn't realize at the beginning of the season, whether or not that character would come into play right. uh, at, the, at the end of the season or next season. So I'm going to go with that, but you never know. You never you know. know. I mean, listen, when uh, I'm friends with uh, an actress named Andrea Gabriel and she played, sorry, Nadia on Lost, who in all six season was Saeed's person. Uh, you know, he was in love with her. Long, long story short, in the pilot episode, before Andrea even appeared as an actress, they took her photo and used it, um, knowing that she'd be on the show at some point. She didn't know when at that point. They used her photo uh, instead of a stock photo when Saeed was talking about his long lost love. And this was four episodes before she showed up. I'm just saying that if you are going to, you, you know, you have the time and the money to hire a certain actress for a photo you know you're going to use her yes could that happen here i i don't know i don't know if it's because it's a getty image but as an example you just you never know I think that I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I hear exactly what you're saying with that, and I think that you know if that character were to become more important later on, they could just you know recast that yeah. character. We got on board with the with the second Dumbledore pretty fast, right? <laughs> we sure did. I mean, granted, you know the situation was uh, it was what it was. The the great Richard Harris had passed away, and they needed to recast the role. But Michael Gambon, I know, gets bagged on a little bit, uh, but I. I liked him. I thought he was good. And you get used to it at the very least. Like you have and This is a photo. We're not attached. You know, you have to assimilate. So yeah, so this is a photo. They can recast the person in the photo at any point in time and I'm not going to be mad at it. I'm not going to be like continuity error. There's no yeah, way. I'll- also, if they don't come back to it in season two, uh, you know what? I don't care. I just, I'm just sort of fixated on it now because why else show the photo again? Yeah. Um, anything else from the episode you want to touch on before we start picking away at some of the feedback that we got this week? I'm sure I'm forgetting something in six months from now. We'll do a Westworld uh, <laughs> podcast after we've watched all 10 again. Oh my God. Uh, so for now we'll get to feedback because it's so important uh, the engagement from fans, which we love. So let's get into that. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to be doing that Westworld podcast in six months, Joe. I don't know if I will have recovered by then. Uh, oh, whatever. I, but who knows? Who knows? We'll see. This is certainly the last one for a while. So let's get into the feedback portion of things. As Joe said, your involvement, your engagement has been so key uh, for our enjoyment of doing this. We've really enjoyed interacting with you guys. It's been really, really fun to be on the ground floor of Westworld uh, that has really bared out to me as a very special show. Um, So very excited about that. We wanted to end the podcast by going through some of the feedback that we got this week. We got a lot, a lot of (laughs) feedback, so not possible to go through everything. We will get through uh, as much as we can in the next little while. So let's take this first one from Richard Brock, who wants to talk about the music on Westworld. Richard wrote in and said, with music's impact on the host, all but explicitly confirmed can we take a moment to explore the impact of music on the show the introduction itself is especially powerful the piano and the cello seem to be attempting to mimic and learn from one another but like a host can never be fully human a cello can never be a piano no matter what notes it learns i love the symbolism of the player piano itself which is host-like and it's mechanical imitation of a human player so richard wants us to pour one out for the music on this show joe the music in the finale was especially great oh. 
I thought. Uh, exit music by Radiohead uh, as composed uh, by Raman Jawadi, uh, the series composer here on Westworld, also the composer on Game of Thrones, was a really kind of maybe a little on the nose when you read the lyrics and, you know, we escape, <laughs> we escape, I hope that you choke. You know, like there's, it's literally exit music to a film, exit music to a show here. So maybe a little bit on the nose, but I think it, it was, you know, it sounded so beautiful and it connected the scene together uh, so, so well. Um, but as far as music as like plot utility, are, do we take that to be, you know, in the scene where Dolores as Wyatt, uh, as programmed by Arnold to go on this killing rampage score points, by the way, for us guessing that it was a euthanization. I feel good about that one. Yes. I feel like we called that. I think that the use of music in that scene was absolutely like I've always said from the beginning that that's code. The piano music is and the music they play is there's something to do with. And I don't know if it was an Arnold touch or not. And they didn't actually talk about it, which is fine. But I'm, I am also convinced, like our, our nice uh, contributor there who wrote in that music is, is absolutely it's key. It might be a clue. By the way, I just downloaded the entire Westworld soundtrack for nine ninety nine on iTunes. I highly recommend it. That's awesome. Uh, Richard also wanted to know what my wife, Emily, thought thought of the music because uh, must know from the lost lives podcast that Emily was a music major is a violinist uh, is, is her training. I'm sure she loves the music. I haven't asked her, but I, I, <laughs> I assume we'll that, go back to you in a year. I assume that she is a fan. All right. This next one is from Bailey Severs. Let's get down to business here. Bailey writes, what's up with these security guards? Was there anything they could have done to be less useful? Uh, I think talking, <laughs> I think talking about all of those security guards, that just got mowed down by Hector and Armistice. Yeah, they were stormtroopers, red shirts, you know, take your pick. They were, you know, they were the goobers that are very easily, you know, the NPCs, the bad guys that you can really just take out really fast in a video game. Uh, it, it, was, it, it really felt like Hector and Armistice in like, the first level of their game like this was not an advanced stage at all this is pretty easy for them that being said for a company with such amazing proprietary information uh their security system is pretty shit so <laughs> yeah i uh, i agree and uh you know i i don't know if it's per level as levels go up and and the amount of proprietary information gets stronger maybe toward dr ford's office if the security is stronger but as we've talked about on every podcast, you know, there doesn't seem to be 24 seven surveillance on every inch of HQ or inside the park, which I find to be interesting. And as the hosts become more awake, I think they're going to become pretty aware of how easy it is to take over. So one of the things that this finale did really, you know, was, was really one of the ways that this was a really satisfying episode is how I'll rephrase it is if you had seen the movie, um, if you had seen the movie, you know, the, the Westworld film, the original film by Michael Crichton, 1973 movie, spoiler alert if you haven't seen that, but you're watching <laughs> Westworld by now and, you know, a lot of the th- same themes are bearing out. Uh, but the movie obviously gets to this point faster. You know, the whole last third or so of the film is the robots have gone haywire and now they're trying to kill the humans, um, really localized on one robot and one human is how they're telling that story. Uh, but mm-hmm. one of the things that does happen in the movie is like the behind the scenes the scientists uh go on lockdown at one point and i think uh i don't think they survive i think they suffocate uh and one thing that i thought was really neat in this episode were the callbacks to the movie not just in the robots finally um you know satisfying their violent delights against the uh against these people but also the main security hub 
it just locks down. Like it traps all those people inside. So theoretically, whenever we come back here for season two, those guys should just be chilling in the in like the hub of security <laughs> in red alert mode, not able to do much. They might not make it very far. Right. And they're probably going, why are Stubbs and Elsie both on vacation at the same time? <laughs> it's pretty convenient. <laughs> I should have invested like- in that plot armor. Seriously, the new guy, I'm like, who are you? Oh, right, Stubbs is uh, MIA. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you, my take on that with the system shutting down is that it was out of their control and they didn't have, I mean, that they were stuck. Right, yeah, totally. I think that that's Ford. Uh, like, if we're buying that Ford is control- yes. if we're buying that Ford is controlling Maeve's narrative, if we're buying that Ford wants to set things up for hosts to finally rebel against and revolt against humans, um, then, you know, Ford would be inclined to shut the entire park down, uh, would be inclined to create such a chaotic situation that the hosts have something of an even footing. Uh, so I think, like, the red alert and all of that, it, it strikes me that the lockdown is being engineered as part of Ford's plan. Lockdown. <laughs> Lockdown once again. Uh, all right, let's turn to our good friend Geek Furious. Always a pleasure to take questions and comments from Geek Furious. Geek Furious writes in, Westworld showed us Samurai World in the finale. We also saw a note handed to Maeve that indicated there were several parks. So season two might be in the Westworld park and maybe splash over to the Samurais and maybe something else. But if the show keeps growing in viewership and general interest, what else could there be? A future world with laser rifles and spaceships or magic world? Could we see a Game of Thrones style park? And if those things are possible, what does that say about the outside world? The real world may have almost escaped to. How advanced is the real world if they can make parks of highly advanced realms that feel realistic? Uh, Joe, I think one of the things that's so exciting about the show moving forward is that we know that there are other parks and we only know what one of them kind of looks like. Like we have, we have a vague sense of a samurai world. Um, who knows what other genres we're going to play play with as we move forward? I love that it's there are opportunities should the show continue to grow, and I think it will once people catch on. It's only ten episodes; they have a year. I feel like for a show that caught fire so quickly, uh, both critically and with fans, which is unusual in this day and age of peak TV. Um, I feel like uh, their opportunities are endless, but that that. Jonah and Lisa and everyone involved are going to be very careful not to, I think, go too far too soon in terms of the worlds they explore. I think that they, if I had to guess, you know, they are going to stick to somewhat of their plan. Um, you know, maybe they are going to have a bigger budget next season to do so. And they certainly have enough time to put it together like Game of Thrones taking a year to do so. Um, but I also love the idea that we don't know what land we're going to be in and who's in charge. I yeah I th- I th- as long as we go to Samurai World Joe I'm going to be fine. But if or we Westeros World. Or Westeros World I'll be pretty psyched about that. Uh, from Buck Hundo, uh, Buck Hundo says uh, Westworld, Samurai World, Medieval World, Roman World, Pirate World. If you could only visit one park, <sighs> which would you choose, and what would you hope to get out of your experience there, uh, Joe? I will. <sighs> I will pass the microphone on to you. You get first dibs. Where are you going? Which park of those theoretical parks? Uh, and we should say that Westworld obviously exists. Samurai World, it seems like exists. Medieval World and Roman World are the other parks from the movie, not confirmed to exist on the show. And I don't know where Pirate World came from, but that place sounds dope, and that's what I'm picking. Uh, I'm totally picking Pirate World. Okay, um, I Listen, call me crazy, but I like the idea of a bunch of lady pirates 
pirates taking over the world on ships. I like it. I'm just going to go and, uh, and I don't know, drink a lot and go on stupid adventures. I'm going to be like Jack Sparrow, Josh Sparrow. Ooh, I like it. I'll be yeah. Joe Sparrow. Nah, it doesn't really have the same ring. I'll come up with a name. I have a year. Come up with a name. You've got a year. Uh, this is from Bree Murchie, who wants to know, uh, who wants to do some theorizing about Ford. Uh, Bree writes in, is it possible that Ford is still alive in one of two ways? There's the possibility that he created a new host in his own image. Remember, we saw a new host being created on the night Teresa was murdered. One route could be that a host Ford was shot by Dolores that night and the real Ford is still out there. The other route could be the fact that Ford has uploaded enough of his own story in a way where the host Ford could eventually gain consciousness. The last words Ford spoke was, he said that Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin never died. They simply became music. I interpret that quote as meaning these geniuses became their own creations in the wake of their death. What's to say that Ford hasn't attempted to become the very thing he has created? Do you think either scenario is likely? And if so, which? What's your take on that, Joe? Do you think that one possible... First off, do you think that Ford is still alive in some capacity? And if so, was it a fake host that got shot by Dolores and the real Ford exists? Or did the real Ford die and he uploaded his consciousness to some host somewhere? Or door number three... Ford is really dead, and everything that we're going to get from Ford moving forward is either in flashback form or the design of this, like, trap that he has laid for humans and this possible escape route for the hosts. That's going to play out, and that's where Ford is going to live. I think that Ford himself is dead, but before he took great lengths to upload certain parts of the program of himself um, into different... I don't think there is a second Ford host. Um, I, I still... I do think that he expected, obviously, Bernardo to come back to life because he can be rebuilt. And so I believe that a lot of Ford was put into Bernardo. Um, I also think it's absolutely telling that he said music. Like I said, there's something in the yep. music. And the fact that, uh, you know, it's used so specifically, especially with Arnold's death, that there's something written in the music that's going to be related to Ford. He is the player piano. Yeah. That's the new, that's the new thing. Boom. Yeah. I think, you know, Ford's not done. It's just, it's a question of how that plays out. I hope that he is physically dead because I I think it, it undercuts, I think it undercuts the power of that moment if he is still alive in a traditional way i I hope i hope it's more his actions are living on and that we're kind of you know we're gonna we're gonna see the ripple effect of everything that ford uh that ford was up to this is from kitty shafernoth kitty writes in i never thought i'd say this but i felt so bad for logan in this finale (laughs) on what's supposed to be a fun trip he ends up watching his future brother-in-law fall in love with a robot and slowly descend into insanity he gets kidnapped by said future brother-in-law and dragged behind a horse is finally stripped naked and set off into the sunset while tied to said horse it doesn't sit well with me that william just sends him off into westworld like that it seems like a huge waste of money for one to be naked and lost and tied to a horse for days on end when each day costs thousands of dollars and then eventually the two of them have to go home together what do you think that train ride home was like or even logan's toast at william and juliet's wedding (laughs) too long didn't read i didn't realize i would be watching the show naked and afraid tonight that's from kitty kitty bravo uh hilarious appreciated uh didn't really think about it to be honest (laughs) i didn't really think about it past uh dum-dum being sent away on his horse naked and how uncomfortable that would be uh literally riding bareback um you know (laughs) (laughs) i 
actually, it just it made me think of something else, though, which is that what is if, you know, we know that Man in Black, William, owns Westworld or Delos. Right. He also, what, then what's with the foundation that that other guy was referring to that, you know, saved his sister's life? Like, what, what is that related to? Is it not the same thing? Is it not Delos? Or it could be like a side gig. It could be a side project that the man in black has going on that old man Williams got going on. Uh, it could be a few things. I think, it, I think it could be explained away as simply as Delos by, you know, being invested in Westworld and, uh, clearly invested in robotics. You know, maybe is using that technology to save people in the outside world is still something that I'm thinking about. Listen, I, I run a cancer charity, so I'm just going to say that that foundation, obviously, he uses technology to cure cancer. So let's yeah. just go with that. Yeah, yeah. Cancer goes west. Exactly. <laughs> hey, that's that's the next chapter of my life. Hey, you, um, can, you can take that. That's for free. Thank you. So, Kitty, I don't have an answer for you, but I appreciate the uh, hilarious email. I appreciate it as well. All right. From my buddy, R. Philly. R. Philly, who went on a Twitter tear with his, <laughs> uh, with his deep admiration. His, uh, he is enamored with this, uh, this finale in this season of Westworld. So I love that. Love the enthusiasm. Uh, enthusiasm. This is from R. Philly, who says, I've seen some people who bounced off Westworld say they didn't connect emotionally with the characters, and that limited their investment in the show. I realized for me the emotional weight of this story was in its concepts and grand design. The maze ultimately being posed to us as a test of empathy by Ford was sublime. Empathy leads to compassion, which is intrinsically tied to understanding and forgiveness for those who are different than we are. This idea of compassion and empathy for those who hate and fear you because you're different is profoundly emotional, especially given the current dialogue happening in our world today. The concept of creating a better version of humanity, teaching those who come after after us to be better than us and fighting against the worst of our own nature emotionally resonates with me in the biggest of ways. Is it just me or is this a show that needs to be taken in its entirety to truly appreciate its emotional impact? I think a really oh thoughtful meditation from our Philly right there. Our Philly. Nice job. I, I always love your, your supportive tweets as well. I think it's uh, it's really well said. You know, I think that I watched this season of Westworld and escaped more into it than normal because of what's going on in the world. And so even though I wouldn't describe Westworld as a hopeful series, um, you know, I do like our Philly enjoy the idea of uh, an alternate humanity and, and believing in something that can be improved upon. So that's really interesting. Um, we got two, we got two comments from Alex Wilpon and Justin Holcomb that I think can kind of be taken in concert with each other. And I'm curious to get into this with you a little bit, Joe. Okay. Uh, from Alex, Alex writes in and says, Convince me why we need a season two of Westworld. I thought this told a nice, complex, but complete ten and a half hour story about self-discovery. Convince me why we need more from a storytelling perspective. So that's Alex. And Justin writes in and says, This finale seemed to give a lot of closure, like series finale closure. Aside from Maeve coming back, I feel like this could have been the end. Do you think that there was so much finality because they weren't sure they would get a second season? Do you think they rushed storylines due to that fear? Do you see any problems going forward with a rushed story. Uh, so let's take this maybe in two parts. Joe, if this had been the end of Westworld, like if it had just been a done-in-one, uh, and this final episode of season one is the final episode we ever see of Westworld, is this season satisfying as a standalone adventure for you? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. 
Um, I think, you know, like I said, because you and I don't get obsessed with lingering questions that sure, there were some things I would have loved to have sort of found out later if possible, but I found it to be such an incredibly well-produced and acted and written season that I, it was that satisfying enough that I, if it was a one and done, I think I would have been okay with it. So I, I completely agree. Uh, so the question of why do we need a season two of Westworld? My answer is we don't. Uh, but we don't need, like, we need, we need water and oxygen, you know? (laughs) We we don't need a first season of Westworld. Um, I think that if, if, if Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy are as confident as they seem to be in what they have planned, um, then I think that based on how this first season of Westworld played, I am inclined to give them the chance to tell that story. Anytime you have a really good season of television um, and you're going to follow it up with a subsequent season, you're always taking a risk that it's not going to be as good as what's come before. Um, For me right now, and I know I'm speaking for a man who is not listening to this podcast because he's not watching Westworld, Antonio Mazzaro, who is my co-host on the Leftovers podcasts. That's where we are. We're like our, our hearts are halfway up our throats being like, you know what? Season two of The Leftovers was so remarkably good that I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid that we're going back to that well. Uh, maybe not that well, but we're going ah. back to the well of Leftovers um, for a third season and potentially undoing something that was really profound in the second season of The Leftovers, which I think is one of the best seasons of anything I've ever put my eyes on. Um, at the same point... Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada and everyone who make that show are on such a tear and did such a remarkable job all season two. And I would argue about halfway into season one, that season starts getting really, really good too. Uh, and so when, when, even though there's a finality to those seasons, when the creators are feeling as confident as they seem to be and when they are performing on uh, an established, proven high level, I'm inclined to give them a shot if they have ideas for what's coming up. And I'd like to think that if something, you know, if a final season of something isn't very good, that I'm still going to love what I loved that came before. I don't have to look much further than lost for, you know, proof of how that works out for me. You know how I feel about the final season of lost Joe. I'm not a big fan, but I really, I still adore the show. Um, so there's risk in continuing Westworld. Uh, they had a really, really strong, first season one of the criticisms one of the biggest criticisms of the show is that the characters are weak uh that the performances are ridiculously super good but that the characters are thinly drawn i i mean i feel like that's by design uh you know that's certainly the nature of these hosts and who they are but we've spent this season really figuring out like what their basic personality traits are. We have seen what they have gone through. The door has been kicked down for uh, the violence level that that is now unleashed, that the hosts can really do damage. Um, And many of them, if not most of the, you know, the main host players are now either conscious or very close to it. Um, So I think that the, I think everybody who has eyes and ears and was watching all the way through, you know, 10 episodes of this first season of Westworld would have to agree that 
by and large, these performances were great. Uh, that the acting on this show was so superb all season long. So if you already feel that way and you feel like we had some thinly drawn characters, the door is kicked wide open for those characters to really develop moving forward. That's what I'm really excited about, as I said earlier in the podcast, is I think that Westworld is really primed to be a great character-centric show moving forward. And I think for that to be something that basically kind of starts with season two, that a full season of really deep, heady, existential mythology play, out uh to get us to a place where now we have like baseline foundational understanding of some of these characters and in my case i'm invested in a bunch of them already maybe that's not the case for every single one and it's certainly not the case for every single viewer but i think that the seasons that are coming up really have a lot of potential to explore these characters in really vivid realized ways and it's going to be really cool to watch them come alive so we don't need anything uh but i'm really but i'm really excited and i really do want a second season of Westworld. Uh, absolutely. I would love multiple seasons when you have a cast like this. Also think about who else they could, you know, cast in addition to this. Uh, it's interesting. I not once ever thought any of the characters were weak. That wouldn't be the adjective I would use. I, I think I was patient that I knew it would be more of a slow burn unraveling and unveiling yeah. of the characters because it was very technology and mythology heavy. And I'm, I was very satisfied on that level. So um, I think that as much as I would have enjoyed just a, a one and done, I'm very happy that we'll have a second season. Final question from Dave Baker. Uh, you've compared Lost with Westworld several times this season. Not written by Dave Backer, but also several times this podcast. Uh, what would a season of Lost look like on HBO? That is oh. that is Dave Baker's question. How about this, Joe? Joe, on Twitter, I believe you said that you are uh, you're you're taking a podcasting hiatus. You'll be, you'll be back uh, podcasting in February, I assume, when the dropship returns to discuss the hundred. Correct? Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, how about at some point in the meantime, you and I hop on a Lost podcast here on Post Show Recaps, and we can tackle that subject of what Lost might have looked like on HBO. Um, 108% on board with that because just that question made my mind go poof. <laughs> so <laughs> because the, the possibilities are endless. It's basically my dream come true to have lost on HBO. So we'll, how about we, how about we save that conversation for a future podcast, hoping to revive the lost lives podcasting a little tiny bit, uh, in the upcoming weeks now that the, now that the Westworld is done. So hoping to get something out in like the next three weeks or so, uh, in time for the holidays and we'll have a couple of lost podcasts following that uh you guys you know much like how ford told bernard that uh you shouldn't trust humans uh you guys also should know not to trust me when it comes to promising anything about lost anymore but i'm feeling good about this one <laughs> it'll happen we just don't know I'll when tangle the carrot and we'll see if anyone eats it uh joe anything else i mean that's it for feedback we've talked through the episode pretty mighty thoroughly um what else are you going to be thinking about with westworld in the you know five thousand years before the show comes back it's really only you know two years and hopefully less than that but 2018 seems to be when it's going to return i mean we're a few weeks away from 2017 so it won't be that bad um i find it interesting that you and i didn't all at all talk about teddy yeah well i don't i don't know what much there is to talk about teddy other than uh you know he He's obviously shaken in his boots because <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's, he is in this kind of cool quandary right now where he is, you know, star-crossed lovers with Dolores. That's part of his programming. That's been part yeah. of his programming forever, uh, or at least as long as we've known him. Um, but he is also programmed to be eternal adversaries with Wyatt. 
and lo and behold, it's the same person. Uh, you know, it's not just that the that the man in black and William uh, are two sides of the same coin. Now we also are finding out that Wyatt and Dolores are two sides of the same coin. I think Dolores is the primary, but the Wyatt personality was uploaded to her, and that is something that legitimately really exists in her. And every time we've seen Dolores go really super dark throughout the season, that's been Wyatt, which is another reason why rewatching this season is going to be pretty cool, is to see, like, where Wyatt was. Um, but the, it is, it, it's a shot that I love in the finale of the camera focusing on Teddy as Dolores is shooting out into the crowd. And it's like this combination of, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a combination of love and horror. I think it's mostly just horror in that moment. But horror at watching someone he loves and hates so much simultaneously has to really do a number on you. I think that that's going to be a really cool tension to see play out in season two. Well, I, I love the idea of having James Marsden back, first of all, um, you know, because I think he's kind of underrated. And among this cast, you know, it, it's hard to shine in the sun necessarily with the a cast this stellar. But I think he did a really good job. I think it's interesting that his programming, whoever is in charge now that Ford is gone, you know, maybe have to dial down his sensitivity if they want him to be part of the army. Or maybe he's going to be the dissenting host who sides with the humans. How happy are you that Sizemore is just alone somewhere? <laughs> that was awesome. You got played, son. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have seen him get got, but, you know, if he's not going to get got in the finale, that at least he's just, like, somewhere in a corner, probably hasn't moved for, like, six days by the time we check back in with him in season two. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Listen, I, he'll be drunk on top of the Mesa, um, being really sad for himself. No Dad Bernathy either. Oh, my God. I'm so bummed. Episode, no dad Bernathy. I'm not that bummed about it, Joe, because that means that somewhere out there kicking around with all that IP in his brain is this like zombie uh, dad Bernathy who is supposed to, you know, like have just like something very vaguely resembling personality. Uh, so there should be like. You know, the type of Abernathy who was just, like, spouting out Shakespeare quotes and was just, like, acting <laughs> like a really funky dude. Uh, that, you know, very trippy, heady character should exist in-universe now with a hell of a lot of key intel swimming in his brain, especially key now that Ford is dead. Um, right. So he's become, you know, he was already a valuable player, but is now a really valuable player, and we have no idea where he is. So the question of Abernathy moving forward, I think, is a really cool lingering question moving forward in season two. And I grew fond of him as a host and as an actor, and on Twitter he even said to me, uh, that was an interesting theory when I, I yeah, just thought about <laughs> the whole theory about, well, he looks so much like Ed Harris that maybe they're priming him, that, that Charlotte went in and took him to be on the board and pretend to be Ed Harris, which I know is insane in retrospect, but again, that's what I do. Um, but I agree, and also the fact that he's the one who showed us that a host glitches when they see something from the outside world. And so when he looked at the photo of William's fiance at the time, we didn't know that was William's fiance. We saw this woman in Times Square. Um, so I feel like he did. And also being programmed as Dolores's father, he represents someone important to someone uh, on the other end of the spectrum. So I look forward to seeing more of Abernathy, Dad Bernathy. Um, I'm trying to think of other quick hits before we go, because we got to plant our flags now before we have no further opportunities for the next <laughs> little while. Uh, I feel like we haven't seen the last of Jimmy Simpson on on the show. Uh, I feel like we haven't seen the last of young William. I think when you're thinking about like, how are the humans going to survive their current predicament? Um, they're going to be on the run. This is what the man in black wanted. He wanted to activate true violence. I don't know if he has like a counter plan in place or anything like that. I wouldn't necessarily think so, 
But it's not impossible that he has situations that are set up in some of these other worlds. Uh, and one of my thoughts of where the series could go is, like, who is going to be the person that takes us to Samurai World? And I wonder if the Man in Black will be that person. And it could be the present-day Man in Black we could see leading a human, like, you know, diaspora, like, get-out-of-the-park type of situation that takes them to this Samurai World. Or it could be some uh, some flashbacks, some memory scenes featuring the young uh, Man in Black, featuring William, featuring Jimmy Simpson in Samurai World. I think that there's a few possibilities there. So I'm planting my flag there. I think that we're not done with Jimmy Simpson on the show. Maybe gone for a little while, but I don't think gone forever. I like it, and I hope so as well. Uh, you know, I started this series, the first few episodes, I was here for Dolores, and I stayed for Maeve. Maeve is officially yeah. my favorite character. I think Tandy Newton gives an, the Emmy performance of her career up there with Sarah Paulson in terms of just, just absolutely spectacular and stunning. Um, so I am completely on board, and it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone if she really is in charge in season two of the host army. I think, you know, it's interesting, do she and Dolores meet eye to eye, even though they're both awake, they may have very different goals. You know, I think, you know, Dolores obviously is murdery, um, whereas Maeve has hired guns to do that for her with Armistice and Hector. And so maybe Maeve is more interested in the exposure of the park or learning more about the technology or creating other hosts for different purposes. So I'll be curious to see, but I cannot wait for Dolores and Maeve in season two. I think Maeve is another person who I'm looking at as somebody who could take us into Samurai World. Uh, you know, we know that her daughter is in Park One zone section, whatever number. But Park One, uh, is that West World? Is that a different park? And if we've already seen Samurai World, uh, let's, let's say that Park One could be Samurai World and Maeve could be going in there. I just want to see you know, Tanny Newton, you know, wandering martial arts epic as a robot. That's the, I, I need that in my life <laughs> in a way that I did not know I did. Uh, so that's a possibility that I'm throwing out there. What else? I think that Arnold, when he shook hands with Bernard Joe in yeah. the church, I think was transferring uh, information. I think he was giving him some know-how. Ooh. I think he was dropping some knowledge. We have seen in the past in the scene in Contrapasso episode 5 when Ford claps Teddy on the back and in subsequent episodes Teddy is starting to remember more. He is more violent. He's capable of more violence. So we have seen certainly all of these trigger words and you know voice commands and almost telepathic power that Ford has been able to exhibit in the past and what he's able to do with a, a simple pat on the back. I felt like the handshake was a passing of the baton and now that ford is gone and arnold is dead as well possibly the person who is going to be carrying like the the 10 commandments of hostum so to speak uh is going to be bernard who is the physical reincarnation of arnold but is going to be ford's spiritual successor as well Bernardold for the win. Like not a literal Bernardold where he's, you know, I he is he is Bernard. Bernard is his own identity, his own individual with a lot in common with Arnold and now I think something in common with Ford as well. I think Bernard is going to be a source of information in a big way moving forward. Okay, we'll have to come up with a, a name for all three of them together. <laughs> Bernardold. <laughs> we will improve upon that. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we could go on for a really long time, Joe, but I think maybe maybe we should call it. I think you've got things to do. It's late on the East Coast right now. Uh, let's just get this podcast out there. It's been long enough. What do you say? 
Let's do it. And, you know, thank you again. I know we're broken record, but we wouldn't have been able to do this without your, your feedback, your engagement, your positivity, you know, your, your, you really, your support is terrific and we love it. And it really helps us, you know, we are busy humans with other jobs. We do this for fun. It's inspiring your level of participation. It, it really encourages us to keep going. And so we hope you do a rewatch as we will during the year. Keep talking to us on Twitter. Josh will give you all of the handles, the emails. Year-round, we're happy to engage when we can about the show. 100%. And Joe, I would just like to say thank you so much for coming on and being a regular part of Post Show Recaps coverage of Westworld. You and I have been itching to really you know, sink our teeth into a show together for years now. Literally for years, you and I have been yep. wanting to do something like this and if i do say so myself i think we did a really good job on westworld here and i think that the perfect show came along for you and i to play co-op on uh so it's just been a blast co-hosting this with you joe thanks so much for taking so much time out of your schedule to come party with us here on post show recaps oh my gosh thank you for having me and making me so official as your co-host it was so much fun it was a blast all right so i will give out all of that handy dandy info uh joe is on twitter she is at joe pinionated like opinionated with a J in front of it. I am round Howard at round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder uh, hashtag. I think we said sham body early, mm-hmm. early on uh, again, not to be confused with sham Bodhi. That's a gross uh, thing that we do not want to discuss. Uh, <laughs> you can subscribe to what we are doing on the Westworld podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld. Although this will be our last podcast for a good little while. We will come back with something off season at some point maybe in the future, but Westworld's not coming back until 2018, so it's going to be a minute at the very least. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to catch up with, with what we're doing elsewhere on Posture Recaps, plenty of other podcasts that are going on here, PostureRecaps.com slash iTunes. Subscribes you to our main feed. You won't miss a show uh, that we post. You won't miss a single thing. Joe, what are you working on? What's going on with you? Where can people find you next? What are you up to? Well, you can always find me at Cancer Gets Lost and CancerGetsLost.org, which is the, the small charity I run in my spare time. We collect entertainment memorabilia and get it signed and auctioned off for cancer charities. And yes, I am working on getting some items from Westworld uh, to feature in our next big online auction, which coincidentally will be in 2018, the same year the show comes back. All right. So a lot of things will be piling up in 2018. Looks like that's going to be a good year. I hope we make it. Yeah, I <laughs> don't even show. It's going to be. I'm going to buy a one way ticket to Westworld if that's the case. All I'm saying is that it's a long time between now and Westworld returning. I hope that the wait for Westworld, the anguish that we will feel, uh, won't just cause us to, you know, spontaneously combust. That was all I was saying. Listen, I don't have any uh, bomb spines, so I'm good. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm good, too. I think that we are good to close out here on that note. Again, thank you, Joe. Thank you, everybody who has listened and interacted and followed along. Thank you, Westworld. Thank you, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy and everyone involved in the show for creating such a kick-ass thing. Uh, really, really fun show. Uh, and I'm and I'm so happy that it ended well, that, that, the, that the season finale <laughs> was good. Because it is the kind of thing that would, that would, you know, that I'm prone to getting really hungry hung up on and being upset about if a finale isn't very good. Uh, yes. And they really, I thought that they really nailed it. So uh, if you disagree, if anyone out there is uh, is listening to this and is like, I, I can't believe these guys just gushed about the finale for almost two hours. That thing was terrible. I'd love to hear why you think so. Uh, so for that hot take that you want to throw at us or any other hot takes that you guys want to throw
throw all of the ways we have laid out our ways to communicate with us but also our email address as well as westworld at posterrecaps.com so plenty of ways to get in touch with us with all that said joe take care as hector said and as desmond said i will see you in another life i'll see you in another world brother bye